wait a minute. You're dead. You'll be dead for 30 years. Oh, it's fine. Is there caffeine in it? No, a little bit. Okay. I try not to give guests my like hardcore stuff. This is Buha, by the way. I mean, you can read. Um, I am Emily Faye Coleman. I am here with my guest Shane Hosey of the Hosey Hustle and like several shows now. Uh, a couple live shows around town. Yes, great wrestling content. Yes, excellent wrestling content. Um, the last time you were here, you learned me several things about professional wrestling, which was a different show, but it was still... <laughs> I was still here. It was still memorable. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners actually sat through it, but... I want to say that's one of our most listened to episodes. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the I saw the life dying from Chris's eyes. <laughs> I'm here with the humble Shane Hosey. <laughs> I'm actually being humble, which is weird. Um... Usually when people say that, it's really sarcastic. It It's almost a little heartbreaking for me that our guest episodes are always the the biggest ones, like the one that we did with Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin and Mohanan mm. uh, blew the fuck up. I believe it. Those, those two are famous. It's the star power. Yep. I think after that show, like a couple weeks after it was released, Mohanan was on Love It or Leave It, the live show, and I was like, God damn it. Mm. So, uh, I'm going to read you some scary stories. So, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, usually, I will find stories online and then rewrite them to be palatable. But, since I have you here and you can appreciate a sh- interesting book. Nice word change, mid-word. <laughs> uh, we are going to read our stories from a book entitled Ghost Stories. A compilation of horrifyingly real ghost stories and truly disturbing hauntings and paranormal stories by, by Hannah J. Tidy. That's right. We call we call people out on this show. <laughs> I Hannah look... J. Tidy? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, these are going to be some clean ghost stories. <laughs> yes. Very uh, just I'll nice lines. I'll see myself out. Nice lines. Um, <laughs> I, no, I looked her up before I started this to make sure that she wasn't on any like social media that was easily accessible. Uh-huh. Uh, mostly because I don't want her to come after me oh hannah j tidy's got to be a pen name uh for sure geez. she's gonna come at you from an angle you never expected well, in the in the back of the book um ryan wrote all of these actually <laughs> <laughs> i received this as a christmas present from my butthead um, he wrote it that's his book yes he he wrote it and then got it bound and gave it to me for christmas and it includes uh hyperlinks in the book oh so okay. they basically printed the ebook yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, it's probably Amazon self-publish. Oh, for sure. Or something like that. Uh, but he did also get me a book of Roald Dahl's ghost stories, so like, so it broke even on quality. So you're just letting your listeners know that we could be listening to good ghost stories. We could stories, be listening to good but ghost instead, stories. Instead, uh, but instead, we're gonna start out. Um, we'll do the small one first. I, I'm I'm fronting like I know how bad these are. I don't actually know oh. how bad they are. Let's get a taste. This isn't going to be a full story, but I had to bring it up because I read it. I thought of you, and then I asked you to be on the show just for the specific All right. reason. For Chapter 17, Paranormal, Jeffrey Dahmer Shapeshifting. Okay. Sounds like a hosey hustle pitch already. <laughs> she begins this with uh, recapping an episode of The X-Files where there's a serial killer who's a he's possessed. And then it 
runs down Jeffrey Dahmer's life, which this isn't a serial killer podcast, so I'm not going to get into that. You all know. You know what Jeffrey Dahmer did. You know what he did. Basically, the idea of possession has been around for as long as we've had history. Perfectly ordinary people are all of a sudden overcome by an evil spirit, which forces them to do truly hideous acts. If Dahmer were indeed possessed, this would certainly explain how a normal, healthy boy could grow up and be capable of all the unspeakable horrors of his crimes. Normal and healthy? No. Are we really, really going to go for normal and healthy boy? I, it was the healthy boy that really. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, normal, normal, subjective, sure, but uh, so so we're a Dahmer apologist in this. Thing. Yeah, I think she is uh, presenting the idea that he was possessed by a demon, which yeah. is why he. And then it it recounts how one of his um, victims. Why did I flip past that? Uh, one of his victims uh, said that he was like sitting in a seat rocking back and forth muttering things all while the exorcist three played in the background this is the evidence for possession man the exorcist three is uh a good movie and not much exorcism actually happens in it i gotta tell you really uh yeah exorcist three actually pretty good so would we say that jeffrey dahmer was possessed by a demon probably not okay are demons real are we making that call on this show? Oh, fuck. I forgot about that argument. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you and me. Uh, um, I What was it? Uh, 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 liquor that... It was... Uh, it, was a sh- it was a pitch for my show, The Hosey Hustle. It was Holy Spirits, take... liquor containing real holy water to help exercise your inner demons. Right. And then you and Kyle very quickly shut down the concept of demons. Because we didn't want to drink anymore. Because we were dying. <laughs> uh, demons are real. But not the ones that we're gonna read about. Okay, and and not nothing nothing demonic was involved with Jeffrey Dahmer's no. case. No, I just wanted to bring that up because I knew you would appreciate the Jeffrey Dahmer angle, and also it was a nice uh, lead into how awful. Yeah. So was that like an essay? That's not really a yeah, story. Yeah. No, she wrote a yeah a little essay about how Jeffrey Dahmer might have been possessed by a demon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no proof. Well, I mean, he was rocking back and forth during The Exorcist. 3. No proof. So our first story from Ghost Stories is The Flying Dutchman Lost at Sea. All right. Well, you spoiled the ending, so continue. All right. We have talked about stories of both individual and group hauntings. Our next intriguing adventure involves the whole crew of an entire ghost ship! Exclamation point. Our next intriguing adventure? True believers! Excelsior! Uh, Chances are you have heard about The Flying Dutchman... From the huge Disney blockbuster series Pirates of the Caribbean. Nah, I'm more familiar with the SpongeBob character, but continue. <laughs> okay. Um, the storyline in the movie melds myth of seafaring pirates, wherein the legendary Davy Jones is tasked. Why doesn't that sentence make sense? Is tasked to captain the equally legendary ghost ship, the Flying Dutchman. While the history of the pirate idiom Davy Jones's locker refers to sailors plunging to their deaths at the bottom of the sea, the Flying Dutchman actually existed. Davy Jones didn't exist. Flying Dutchman flying did Dutchman, exist. The Dutchman, the flying ship of death, the Flying Dutchman. I don't know did if exist. it was always flying. So is the Dutchman like a class of ship? Is that what we're? Uh, well, I, I will tell you. All right. Or me. Hannah will tell you. Ms. Tidy. Hit me with them tidy facts. <laughs> in the 17th century, a company called the Dutch India, the Dutch East India Company, was Oof. responsible for a considerable amount of trade over the oceans. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. 
Because they were and they were they were traitors and don't worry about it. It's not important. Uh, it is most commonly believed that the vessel, which became known as the Flying Dutchman, and um, Dutchman, initially was sailing for this company. The first written record found was penned by a man named George Barrington in his book entitled "Oh Fuck," an account of a voyage to New South Wales. Following is his account of the story. New South Wales, Australia. I assume. Okay. Yeah, because New Wales. New South Wales. New South Wales. That's very specific. Yeah, it's got to be Australia. Um, so, doesn't say what the ship was supposedly carrying. Uh, spices. Spices. Is that what they did? Among other things, I'm mostly th- thinking of human trafficking. Slaves. But go ahead. Yeah. Slaves and spices. Slaves and spices. What <laughs> makes the old world tick? And that's. Slaves and Spices. Yes, my favorite franchise. (laughs) The Superstition. That's a good alternate name for KFC. Oof. Woof. You know, just... Well, don't uh, forget the herbs, too. (laughs) Slaves and Herbs and Spices. Did the Colonel own people? Is he old enough to have owned people? Colonel Sanders is an older Southern gentleman, so one would assume. Yeah, but is he old enough? When did KFC open? 70s? Something like that. And he was like, I would venture. He might have been a little bit after slavery. Yeah, okay, unless he was 100 <laughs> <laughs> when he opened his restaurant. Um, when did the first KFC open? You should just ask when Colonel Sanders was born. I found 15 restaurants matching KFC. Tap the one you're looking for. I'm not looking for a Long John Silver, Siri. Wow. No one's looking for a Long John Silver. <laughs> are terrible founded in it started as uh sanders court and cafe march 20th 1930 all right so colonel sanders theoretically when was he born though colonel sanders is not a real person yes he is what (laughs) you didn't know that no colonel sanders is a guy the first franchise was 1952 oh oh my god colonel harlan sanders you thought it was lying? September, September 1890 to uh, December 1980. So maybe his family. So, yeah, he probably came from a slave-owning family. Where is he from? I would assume Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky. Actually, no, he was born in Indiana. I, I was going to say, I think he was actually born in Indiana. Well, not. sorry, I wasn't going to say Indiana because I'm not that much of a cold shot confidant. I was just going to say I don't think he was born in Kentucky. <laughs> Um, and this has been History Facts with Buhaha. Yeah. The non-history podcast. Yep. As I has made very clear. I think it was uh, scary that you thought that Colonel Sanders was a fake person. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought he was like Little Debbie. <laughs> Little Debbie was also a real person. Was Betty Crocker a real person? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I am about to read an account from an account of... A Voyage to New South Wales. Okay, yes. By, uh, what the fuck was his name? George Barrington. I've read these stories like maybe one and a half times. Mm -hmm. So this is all newer information to me. Uh, The superstition of the sailors was a subject of which I had frequently heard, and even the report that agitated the person of whom I am going to speak. Thought it too vague to deserve any particular credit or attention. Uh, To summarize, this dude... I thought it was too vague, but... Here it is anyway. Yeah, it's like I wasn't going to pay attention to this dude, but... eh. He won't shut up, so... 
Uh, in this quarter of the globe, it seems, a report is still propagated that some years ago, a Dutch man of war being lost off the Cape, every Dutch man of war being lost off the Cape, okay, uh, every soul on board perished. Boat okay. crashed, everyone died. So it was a man of war from the Dutch East India Company. Yeah, it, okay. I feel like there should be hyphens between man of and war. Uh, is it? Man O apostrophe war. No, of war. Man of war. There. Yeah, that's why I thought it was just a dude. Yeah, I mostly hear man of war, uh, but that's also the jellyfish. So, fuck those guys. The jellyfish. I have a thing about jellyfish. Okay. Uh, I once ate jellyfish out of spite. Was it offered to you in a restaurant, yes. or did you just pick it up off the beach? I didn't just like wander into the ocean like fuck all listen, of you. Listen, just grab them up off the sand. No, uh, bite. it was offered at a restaurant, and it had a cartilagey texture to it. Makes sense. And um, not good. It was not good. It made my tongue go numb. Mm. Um, so this boat crashed. Every fucking person perished. Uh, being in company with another vessel, this, her consort, weathered the gale and, more fortunate, arrived soon after the Cape. This guy writes worse than the author of this book. Well, this was the style of the time. Uh, but having repaired their damages and being on their return to Europe, just in the same latitude, they were likewise overtaken with a heavy gale. The fucking boat rescued everyone. There was another storm. Okay. During the night watch, it was reported they saw, or supposedly saw, a vessel crowding down upon them with a full press of sail, as if she intended nothing but to run them down. So it was a ghost, um, Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Boo fast, boo furious. Dutchman drift. <laughs> Shit. That is better. Continental drift. I don't know. Um, one, of the p- one of the people in particular positively affirmed that it was either a ship that foundered in the former gale or her apparition. So what this guy basically said was it was either a real ship or it was a ghost ship, mm-hmm. which is the only two things it could be. Yeah. If it's some kind of ship, it's either a real ship or a, it's not, not, or a real not a real ship. ship. The weather very soon after clearing up, uh, the real object, object, which was a thick, dark cloud, entirely disappeared. Oh, so it was a cloud. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Still, nothing could dispose the minds of the sailors of what they had fancied they had seen, and they had no sooner got into port than spreading the story like wildfire. The supposed phantom obtained the name of the Flying Dutchman. From the Dutch, the English (laughs) seamen... All right. All right. Sorry. You knew it was coming. No, I didn't expect to read that word. Fuck off. (laughs) I am 27, right? Yeah, 27 years old. From the Dutch, the English seamen got a hold of the story so that very few of our East Indian men. India men? India men. That doesn't sound politically correct, but. Uh, Our East India men? I think that just East, means East hyphen India men. Uh, I think that either means the like the Dutch East India Company, the men who worked for them, that probably. or the people stationed in India, or I don't know, people from India and they're just India men. Uh, so very few of our East India men pass those seas without having someone on board who persuades himself that he has also seen the apparition. Okay, so so it's an urban legend. This is a meme. It's. <laughs> The Flying Dutchman is a meme. It's a ye old meme, yes. Ye olde meme. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I like what I, I like that she starts off the top. It's like, you might have heard of the Flying Dutchman from 
the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where this character Davy Jones, Captain's a Flying Dutchman. Now, here's the thing. Davy Jones, that's just an expression. But the Flying Dutchman is real as hell, and let me tell you about it. <laughs> let me have this This, this old... time, oh, one guy thought he saw it, and he told all his friends. That is, that breaks down, yeah. Uh, they were in a storm. They thought they saw a ship. Uh, it was probably just a cloud. <laughs> it was a cloud. No, it's, it's not even like it was probably a cloud. The guy in the bo- in the story says, like, it, it was, was a, a cloud. cloud. <laughs> the, the true form of which, a cloud. <laughs> But no one could tell the stupid, superstitious sta- sailors otherwise. Uh, I picked this story because it was one of the only ones in the entire book that had like a footnote citation. Hit me. Uh, Barrington George, an account of voyage to New South Wales, Sherwood, Neely, and Jones, London, 1810. Okay. So she read it in a book. Like what I just read was a fully copied and pasted, and I have to assume copy and pasted hey. quote. Hey, it's a it's a first it's a first hand account, you know. <laughs> you can't mince words. You don't want to you don't want to shorthand anything and, and You uh, need this witness testimony. That's right. Probably the, it's the only witness testimony she has in the book apparently. <laughs> that you found anyway. Um there was a little in that Jeffrey Dahmer story, but uh it was a guy who had escaped him what was, was it cited? I know it was not. Well, there you go. It's all horseshit. Um Jeffrey Dahmer never saw Exorcist 3. <laughs> Barrington goes on to describe how the lead crewman of his vessel woke him up in the middle of the night, telling the lead him seaman. of you mean no crewman the head the head seaman. I don't think Hannah J. Tidy wanted to write seaman. It was only in the first hand account. Yes. Yeah. Okay. When she copy and pasted it, yeah, she yeah. didn't actually have to type the words. Um, the lead crewman of his vessel woke him in the middle of the night, telling him of the ghostly apparition he had seen just minutes before, in full belief that what he saw was indeed the. So hey, hold, hey, hold on, we're recapping the quote we just did. No, this is later. Okay, okay. So he says it's a cloud, and then he talks about how he had someone on one of his ships that said that he saw the Flying Dutchman. Right. It is thought that the captains of the two ships described by Barrington were Hendrik van der Decken. Wow. I think that's a Gossip Girl character. Hendrik? Um, Hendrik? Hen- Hendrik van der Decken. Hendrik van der Decken. Okay. Yes, I think I hit the dirt real hard on that. Um, and Bernard Fokey? Yeah, yeah. Fokey. Folk? F-O-K-K-E. <laughs> uh, might be Fock. Bernard? Bernard. Bernard Fock. Yeah, that sounds right. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Dutch. Uh, I know German, that's all. Both of whom were captains for the Dutch East India Trading Company. It is unclear who of these men in the story is the captain of the surviving ship and who became the Flying Dutchman, as both of these captains were known to have been lost at sea. We are aware of very little of Vanderdecken, but we know that Fuck. Folk, See, now you're just saying Fuck. Fuck. We know that Bernard Fuck. <laughs> Folk made many voyages from the Netherlands to Java. Many, many stalwart seamen served under fuck in his day. <laughs> anyway, Bernard was real fast when he made voyages from the Netherlands to uh, <laughs> fuck Java. Fuck was like lightning. <laughs> but we don't know much about uh, Vanderdecken. You know, some people prefer it to last a little longer, but fuck was just straight to the point. He got it over Lightning with. fast. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Some surmise that... Uh, he had made a pact with the devil wherein he was given the momentum needed for his trading activities. Well. He sold his soul to Satan so his boat would go fast. I mean, that's a way to make a lot of money. Uh, it's not super creative, but, you know, 
not all the deals with the devil have to be. This would never translate to modern day. Well, I, I mean, like, if it's a long haul truck driver. Yeah, that I could see that being like an American folktale where it's like a, a guy sells his soul to the devil so that he like doesn't have to sleep or something like that. So that he can continue to drive through the night or something. I, or or uh, that he's immune to uh, police radar so he can go as fast as he wants. I have a creepypasta to write after this. All right. Be sure to just name one character after me. But don't let, don't make me die. <laughs> oh, everyone dies at the end of this creepypasta. The world ends. And we finally find out who was phone. Oh, no. Don't do not do that. Don't. Don't ruin, the, don't ruin this story for everybody. <laughs> Leave the leave the classics alone. <laughs> Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and think about who was phone. I mean, the question remains: who was phone? Uh, great scholars. Scholars agree. Yeah. <laughs> Many great minds over the years have asked: who was phone? It was her mom. But it was her dad. No, her dad was dead. Yeah. Then who was phone? It was her dad. It was her mom Let's or go. her stepdad. Oh, uh, stepdad, yeah. Or just anybody. It never specified if the voice on the other end of the phone was male or female. Well, it also could be uh, like, hey, I know you're with my daughter. It could have been me just fucking with a guy, <laughs> you know? There are many angles at which to approach who is phone. Literally, phone could be anyone. <laughs> phone could be any of us. We are all phone. We are all phone. <laughs> I think that's the real moral of that story. Um, so this Bernard fella sold his soul to the devil to be faster in his boat mr bernard lovemaker (laughs) if this were indeed true it would be plausible that the captain would wager his own life and that of his crew and sail on even when faced with a storm as he approached the cape of good hope hence the belief that captain bernard falk was none other than the fearless flying dutchman yeah because if i make a deal with the devil i'm gonna be real reckless with my life I cannot wait to get down to hell. I'm pretty sure this is the plot to Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Yeah, because that franchise has no creativity. There have been many tales spun around the ship and its journey. When the ship came upon a gale at sea, it is rumored that Falk threw men overboard in order to placate the storm. Oh my god. Some say that the captain of the ship... That's just bad seamanship. That's just really like, oh no, a big storm. Quick, throw bodies at it. Because the storm Placate is hungry. the sea! That storm looks hungry. Give it meat. Uh, some say the captain of the ship vowed that he would sail the seas forever until he rounded the Cape of Good Hope, but was tragically shipwrecked, thus drowning all hope of making it to safety. All good hope. The story goes that because of his stubbornness, he and his crew would forever be cursed to sail the oceans, never once being allowed to rest, nor to set foot on any shore. You may think that an entire ghost ship is impossible. What? I didn't really say anything, Hannah. Yeah, that's, she's getting real aggro with us all of a sudden. I say to you, tell that to the hundreds of witnesses who have sightings of the famous Dutch vessel over the many years. The many years. Okay. Uh, there's no such thing as ghost ships. <laughs> At me. Get at me on Twitter, <laughs> ancient sailors. Notable people who saw the Flying Dutchman firsthand include, are you ready for this fucking list? George Washington. King George V of England. Wasn't he the crazy one? Uh, no, the one the from third. Hamilton. I think it's, I don't think that's the third. I don't know my Georges very well. I may remind you, this is not a history podcast. Right. That's why I'm just, I, that's why I say I think. Because <laughs> I don't know shit. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, George anyway, George Five. There's only two people on this list, as well as the famous novelist Nicholas Montserrat. Author of? I don't know. She doesn't say. Hold on. Nicholas Montserrat. Yep. Nicholas Montserrat. No, I'm, I'm Here's some information about Nicholas Montserrat. All right, you wrote a bunch of books about uh, surprise boats. <laughs> <laughs> the Cruel Sea in 1951. Master Mariner in 1978. Three Corvettes, 1945. Master Mariner sounds like it could very easily be a romance novel. Yeah, well, all the all the uh, book covers are just boats, so I'm thinking <laughs> it's about a guy who falls in love with a boat and fucks it. That <laughs> seems like a good way to get splinters, but Look, what do I know? All right, I'm just saying, uh, George V, English. Um, Theoretically crazy. Nicholas Montserrat, English. Island people, I don't trust them. Anyone, <laughs> anyone from an island culture... They're crazy, all right? You are going to anger all of my Hawaiian listeners that I don't think I have. Hey, they know it. They're the fun kind of crazy. They're all right. They know what I'm talking about about England, though. Come on. Oh, yeah. If anyone does. Um, The legend is that those who are unfortunate to see it are doomed to befall calamity or worse, death. Or expulsion, I guess. If you're Hermione, that would be worse than whatever. (laughs) Should you find yourself out to sea chasing some adventure, beware you never come within viewing distance of the Flying Dutchman. Did you even say, like, what will happen? Or is Uh, she about to say what will happen? No, she did. That's the end of the story. But she said that you are doomed to befall calamity or worse, death. Uh, See, I don't know if that's true. Like, what if you see a boat-shaped cloud and then you stub your toe like theoretically that was a great calamity yeah i mean back in the day you could die from gangrene if you stub your toe bad enough (laughs) gotta eat a lot of oranges especially with all of that like shitty wood that they have in ships i I got scurvy in my toes from stubbing them sorry what were you saying i forgot um (laughs) shitty wood and boats yeah it just seems like a good place to get all the splinters yeah, for sure. That is the fir- first story, um, The Flying Dutchman. All right. Uh, are you familiar with the character in the SpongeBob? Oh, of mythos? course. Yeah. I like him better there. He's like a Grim Reaper, but like funnier. Yeah. I like the little sock he wears on his ghostly tail. Yeah. And I like that it's Brian Doyle Murray, because I, I like it when that guy gets work. <laughs> Bill Murray's older brother. <laughs> older half-brother. Let's get into our second story. Which is it gonna bone chill me? Because that one was hardly it was hardly a a marrow icer. This might get a little creepy. You might have to Google something in a second. No, this story is a uh, chapter ten hauntings. The hands resist him. Haunted eBay painting. Nice, 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 nice. Um. So before we we begin, um, is this that haunted painting of like the two kids at the window that yeah, I always see? Actually, that's the one. Is it that one? It's that one. It is a super. We're gonna learn about painting. it, Lucille. I swear to Christ. It's because I live on the internet, so I know. <laughs> I um, knew all about the Flying Dutchman because I lived on the internet. <laughs> no, you lived at sea. Remember? I lived that? at sea. That's right. Yes. In the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> I am that author we were talking about. <coughs> Nicholas Montserrat. Mon- <coughs> Nicolas Montserrat. I thought we said he was English earlier. And yeah, he's English. Now he's French. I'm he's just getting hella French. With aggressively it. French. Aggressively French. Oui, oui. <laughs> so I don't think. Oh no, she cited someone in this, but it was a poem. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to read a poem. Oh boy. Uh, hauntings can occur anywhere, but are most often associated with a particular place where paranor- paranormal activity is very common. 
Thank the you for theaters. explaining this in chapter 10. The movie theaters where you can find any of the paranormal activity movies. <laughs> well, Blockbuster, that's where you... Oh, yeah, those are definitely haunted by now because they're all dead. <laughs> uh, this haunting, however, is that of a painting. Yes, you heard me right. No, I didn't hear you at all. This is a book. <laughs> Even the artwork hanging in your home can be haunted. So you got a Disneyland picture, Alice in Wonderland. I really hope my Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin poster is haunted. <laughs> what calendar? Is that a 300 calendar? No, it's a Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, that could be haunted. Uh, and then I have an Adventure Time calendar. I do have a, a what is it? What's your profile? Uh, With a shadow silhouette thing? Silhouette. I have my silhouette with my Harry Potter one, so it looks like a fancy witch lives in as my apartment. As soon as you die, that's going to get haunted. Oh, for sure. That's where your soul's going. It's going straight into that cutout from Disneyland. Yeah, I've never, that's why I've never painted a silhouette, man. Never, ever in my life. Uh. Anyway, paintings can be haunted. Surprise! This haunting is also one of the most recent and well-known modern hauntings, and the story will leave chills running down your spine. Better. Better. Get up in these bones. (laughs) Get some ice up in these bones. William Stoneham. Stoneham? Stoneham. 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 The painter of this haunted canvas, god damn it, I hate this, is still alive and well and painting today. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts, where his real parents gave him up for adoption. I don't feel like that's a necessary detail. <laughs> a, little, a little ding on adopted kids. What was his name again? Uh, William Stoneham. Stoneham. Bill Stoneham, artist. I'm going to see these creepy-ass paintings. Uh, the painting is that of a photograph that was taken of him when he was five years old. The creepy artwork, titled The Hands Resist Him, depicts a young boy and a young girl slash doll holding a battery-like object with wires with wires standing together in front of a glass door with images of hands seemingly floating behind the glass panels. The painter himself agrees that it is entirely possible that the painting is haunted. Did someone, like, <laughs> die on the canvas? Like, I, they haven't explained, like, what happened to make this haunted. I mean, I, I like the idea that someone asked him, hey, is your painting haunted? And he's, he's like, like, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. It'd be pretty cool if it was. <laughs> Uh, On his website, he claims that he has always had a particular connection to the collective unconscious found in a specific place. All right. According to Stoneham, the hands are the other lives. The glass door, that thin veil between waking and dreaming. The girl doll is the imagined companion or guide through the realm. Uh, According to Stoneham, the inspiration for the painting came from the following poem titled Hands Resist Him. Have you got a good look at the painting? I'm looking at his other stuff now. I want to say this painting was part of a series. Uh, I have seen a couple of like hands invent him, other things like that. So Yeah, I actually have a companion article that I found online. About the painting? About this. Um, it will come into play later. Well, I'll tell your listeners to, uh, uh, another painting to look up that I think is way creepier, but we'll continue in a second okay. here. According to Stoneham, the inspiration for the painting came from the following poem titled Hands Resist Him. Uh, penned in 1971 by R. Ponsetti, Bill's ex-wife, just three years prior to the creation of the painting. So if you're keeping score, this was painted in 1974 based on a poem written by his ex-wife in 1971. Right. I will now do a... You now recite? Moderately dramatic reading of the poem. With the cat going nuts in the hallway. She found like a sticker or something. Uh, She found ghosts. (laughs) See, she... She got scared. I found her out. 
he is of the seeing visions. His strokes reveal them. In a rush of color, of madness, of mystics. I hate this poem already. And his head is the highest center. It must confront its enemy. The hands resist him, like the secret of his birth. His presence in the sanctum heartbeat felt darkness and impassion. Is that it? It is the sound, the sole gift to that silence. Give me that. Give me that. Are you going to do it in your yeah, movie announcer voice? Do it in a... Okay. Sorry, my one acting class isn't paying off. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Hands Resist Him by Ar-, Ar Ponsetti, 1971. He is of the seeing visions. His strokes reveal them in a rush of color, of madness, of mystics. And his head is the highest center. It must confront its enemy. The hands resist him. Like the secret of his birth, his presence is the sanctum heartbeat, felt in darkness and in passion. It's sound the sole gift to that silence. Thank you. Thank you for that. I might just cut out me reading it entirely. <laughs> uh, no, because you got you to gotta keep me, tra- me trash-talking you. <laughs> No, I was just looking at it. It was just like sentences. And I, yeah, anyway, which is technically what all books, poems are. Just no, I, sentences. I, I love, I love dramatically reading poetry. Like the, the weirder, the better. Oh, that one was fine. I mean, you're just mad because it's in a shitty book. I, I am mad because it's in a shitty book. And Travis, if you're listening to this, I love the book. It was a wonderful present. No, for sure. You're getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. An entire month's worth of episode out of it. So whether you believe in ghosts or not, looking at the painting will give you the creeps. I will give her that. Yeah, it's a creepy painting. It's very creepy. Uh, I want to point it out. Um, I looked up the uh, painter, and I feel that the piece called uh, Oedipal Totem by William what Stoneham the fuck? is way creepier. Oh, well, I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a uh, a woman who is standing in a field her head has been replaced by a uh like a, a, a gibbet a stock a stockade um and you have what looks like a torso looking through one of the hand holes but a child's face looking through the center hole instead so this is just like his thing he's he's a creepy god I yeah he paints like weird he paints weird shit um oh i am now gonna go on to describe uh this painting in hannah's words because this podcast is now called describing paintings yes emily and shane in the painting the boy's eyes are almost non-existent as if he is squinting his pale skin appears sickly or even lifeless next to him on his right stands a little girl doll with hollowed out eyes her mouth is turned into a frown and her countenance resembles that of an evil spirit i have questions about what an evil spirit looks like to her yeah, this looks, looks like a doll face. <laughs> it just looks like a fucking doll. These details alone made the painting eerie, but it doesn't stop there. Behind the two figures, inside the dark room, about a dozen hands are seen grasping at the glass panes of the door. No bodies are perceived, and it almost appears as if the hands are floating, disembodied in the air, trying to claw their way outside. This tableau of images is unsettling, to say the least. I want real newscaster with that last paragraph. Unsettling, to say the least. Back to you in the studio, Tom. <laughs> Little did Stoneham know that what he created would become something of a legend. Meme. <laughs> yeah. Anytime she says legend. It's a meme. It's a meme. 
Uh, after he had completed his painting, it was sold to John Marley, a character actor who has come out with over or has come out in over a hundred movies. That's a weird way to say that he's been in a hundred movies. No, he's come out in every <laughs> single one of them. I'm gay. We know John. John Marley. I'm looking him up. He's been. He uh, was also in several episodes of The Twilight Zone, but is probably most known for his his role as a film producer in the legendary film god damn it godfather <laughs> the godfather <laughs> yeah i just looked it up he's in love story oh love means never having to say you're sorry it's a garbage movie <laughs> um uh, was he in the new twilight zone or the old twilight zone um i'm gonna say the old twilight zone so he's probably all his dead movie roles right are... he's dead right he is okay. dead before i was born yeah the whole thing with uh, the Twilight Zone is I love it, but I also hate looking at it and being like, oh, all of these people are dead. Yeah, that adds to the creepy factor. Oh, it sucks. He he didn't die. Well, he died of complications from open heart surgery. So uh, when this man, John, John Marley, Marley. Uh, when he purchased the painting, becoming the subject of a real light Twilight Zone episode was probably the furthest, furthest thing from his mind. Within the next 10 years, three people who dealt with the painting died suddenly. <laughs> Ten years. Three people. Ten years. My senior film was a 15-minute horror short, and it was like standard haunted house because I could, and they let me. How many people in that film are now dead? None. Um, But one of the lines was... Because they had bought this house, and like this guy's girlfriend wasn't happy that they bought the house because it was creepy. And he's like, what? Five murders in a 50 years? That's not that bad. <laughs> I would I'm more shocked that a guy in there, in like a casual boyfriend-girlfriend relationship would go in on a house. Yeah. I didn't really think the relationship in that movie through very well. It's okay. Most horror directors don't. I watched House 2 yesterday. So this guy... So he bought a painting. Ten people, three people died. It's three people died in ten years. Ten years. Um, Suddenly, Henry J. Seldis, an immigrant from Germany, um, and the art critic who gave the painting its first press mention, and Charles M. Feingarten, the owner of the art gallery where the piece was initially displayed, and who was also the person who commissioned the painting, passed away. That was a really long way to get there. Yeah that that was a that was almost like a, a German sentence structure. <laughs> And you, get finally, the, you get the verb at the very end. And finally, Marley himself died, but not until after he had sold the painting. So then why bring it up? Yeah, he died in like the 80s. He died in like 84. I did, yeah, I guess he would have bought this in the 70s. Yeah. Um, the painting vanished from the headlines for the next 26 years. It was never in the headlines. Uh, it then resurfaced in an eBay listing. According to an article put out by, by the BBC, the owners were selling the painting due to its haunted nature. Sorry. If it's from the BBC. The owners are selling the painting due to its haunted nature. Uh, uh, the children depicted in the painting were coming alive at night and stepping out of the painting into the real world! Exclamation point. Oh no. Which is when we switch for a second from this book. To the BBC article. To the BBC article. Is it the BBC article? It is the BBC article. Nice. Can you do it in an English accent? I will try. You don't have to. Kind of want to now. <laughs> It's not like mine's good. I just wanted to do it. <laughs> I'm Rocky Jones with the BBC. I don't know if I can do it now that I'm on call. Nope. I won't look at you. It, yeah, I am like that ghost in The Conjuring 2. I was thinking more of uh, the Invisible Boy from Mystery Men. 
two very similar movies. Yes. So this is a transcript of the original advert for the haunted painting placed on eBay in February 2000. I'll probably read it in a newscaster voice, but not a British newscaster. I'm I'm an international correspondent for the BBC. All right. When we received this painting, we had thought that it was really good art. A picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. Parentheses. Today we don't. (laughs) And parentheses. One morning, our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children in the painting were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Always take the advice of four and a half year old. Now, I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my husband was alarmed. To my amusement, he had set up a motion-triggered camera for the night. To my amusement. After three nights... Oh, you silly bastard. (laughs) That's a terrible English accent. Please, please don't send me any emails. After three nights, there were pictures. The last two pictures shown are from that stakeout. After seeing the boy seemingly exiting the picture under threat, we decided the painting had to go. I don't know why these are sentences that are together. Here's my question. Uh, where are them pictures at? I, I think they're in the next page. Uh, please judge for yourself, but before you do, please read the following warning and disclaimer. You gotta read it. They ask you to do nicely. Warning. Do not bid on this painting if you are susceptible to stress-related disease, faint of heart, or unfamiliar with supernatural events. By bidding on this painting, you agree to release the owners of all liability in relation to the sale or any events happening after the sale that might be contributed to by this painting. This painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that could impact or change your life. However, by bidding, you agree to exclusively bid on the value of the artwork with disregard to the last two photos featured in this auction and hold the owners harmless in regard to them and the impact expressed or implied oh holy fuck did you see the picture yeah did it spook you i don't enjoy these pictures at all i'll show you in a moment okay uh after i finish reading the rest of the ad uh no we'll get back to hannah's story in a second this is still the bbc article uh now that we got this out of the way one question to you ebayers we want our house to be blessed after this painting is gone does anyone know anyone who is qualified to do this uh yeah i'm ordained by the church universal life church i can bless Me stuff too. i can perform weddings and exercise houses yeah the size of the painting is 24 by 36 inches so it is rather large as i have had several questions here are the following answers there was no odor left behind in the room there were no voices or the smell of gunpowder no f- Food, food prints, I think footprints, but it says food, food prints. prints or strange Cheeto fluids dust. on the wall. Strange fluids on the wall. <laughs> no, I did not drop any acid. To deter questions in this direction, there are no ghosts in this world, no supernatural powers. This is just a <laughs> painting, and most of these things have, have an explanation. In this case, probably a fluke lighting effect. Look, guys, for real, all right? You can bid on my haunted painting, number one. I'm not liable for any ghosts that murder you. Number two. Ghosts aren't real. Ghosts aren't real. (laughs) Also, number three, if anyone knows a fucking priest, I need one ASAP. I encourage you. A lot of mixed messages here. I encourage you to bid on the artwork and consider the last two photographs as pure entertainment. And please do not take them into consideration when bid. Why bring it up? Everyone loves a good story. Okay. 
So my bones about to be chilled. They're creepy. I don't like them. Yeah, I mean, look, I ain't seeing like a boy leaving the painting. I I ain't seeing uh, no fighting children. I'm just seeing a spooky a spooky lighting effect on the doll girl. Yeah. I'm seeing some Photoshop filters, maybe. It, uh, the, yeah, it's the depth of it gets weird in that last one, but that could also be like 100% Photoshop. Uh, and it's lighting. So that is the eBay listing. Yeah. Um, All right, back to the book. Let's find where we were with Art Picker, who located it behind an abandoned bar. Their eBay listing was reinforced by footage and photos from a webcam that captured these strange happenings. At okay. Night. I don't think footage. Uh, Maybe photos. The BBC article did have photos, but if I find footage, I'll make sure to, like, show you guys. All right. I don't think it'll change anything. You better. In just a few days, the internet was abuzz with rumors, and the listing had garnered over 30,000 page views. Reports from all over started coming out claiming people that viewed the painting experienced strange manifestations such as illness and fainting. Kim Smith, the owner of an art gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan, finally purchased this painting. How much? Does not say. Horseshit. Since this purchase, Kim has not reported any kind of paranormal activity associated with the picture. She feels totally ripped off. <laughs> it is good to note, though, that it has, been, it has remained mostly in storage and has only been shown on request by a handful of people. Her closing paragraphs are really something to behold. Okay. But what if the spirits in the painting are merely lying dormant, waiting for the right opportunity to strike again? This isn't an episode of Supernatural. Goddamn. <laughs> After all, it lay dormant for 26 years before wreaking terror on the lives of the family that just so happened to purchase it. Will the year 2026 bring new and frightening news about the painting? This much is true. Whether you believe that the artist possessed or not, everybody that has had a glimpse of the artwork all agree that it is one creepy, haunting image. Yeah, it's creepy. And this has been Emily Fay with BBC. <laughs> Good night. Good night. So those are the two prepared stories. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm familiar with that painting, as we said before. Yeah, I, I had heard th- about it before, and then it showed up in the book. And yeah, it's one of those classic like spooky urban legends. I didn't know that the artist was known, so that's kind of cool. Like that, I can look him up and see the other paintings in the he, series. He and does all that stuff. paint a creepy picture. Yeah, he um, paints a lot of creepy pictures. So we're gonna take a short commercial break for some product. I'm sure you don't need. Great, great, great start. <laughs> this episode of Boohaha has literally been brought to you by Hannah J. Tidy's Ghost Stories, a compilation of horrifyingly real ghost stories and truly disturbing hauntings and paranormal stories. The only book I've ever read to come with a warning that reads, All the stories in this book have been verified as true! Exclamation point. These are not hoaxes. They are backed up by, all caps, FACTS. May be disturbing for some! Exclamation point. You can probably find it on Amazon. Hi, welcome back. The next segment is where I read an email from a listener who was kind enough to share their ghost story. Ooh, guaranteed to be scarier than anything we just read in that book. Honestly, yeah. All right, well, I guess I don't actually have that email, so... Uh, if you guys could send in your emails to boohahapod at gmail.com. We need more ghost stories, idiots. Yeah, I need more ghost stories. Or else you're just going to keep getting Hannah J. Tidy shit. Where's that one about the goddamn email? All right. Haunted email? 
uh, yeah, so I can't find an email from an actual listener, so we're going to read a story from Hannah called Ghost Emails from the Other Side, Jack Frosey. <laughs> this is chapter three. Hauntedemail.com. Uh, modern t- <laughs> email me at shane.hosey at ghost.com. A modern and relatively recent story, the tale of Jack Frosey was first told through the personal accounts of those affected by it. This story can be one of horror as well as joy, depending on how you would personally cope with and view the death of someone close to you. I feel like I wouldn't take it very well. I can't wait. I can't wait till that asshole Greg is dead. <laughs> uh, some may find it deeply unsettling or horrifying, while others would find solace in the experience if they happen to have lost someone dear to them. Either way, everybody will agree that the freak occurrence described by Frosty's friends and family is incredibly strange, to say the least. Is that a phrase that she often uses, to say the least? Yes. It's creepy, to say the least. This would be a fun drinking game. I am Rocky Jones with the BBC. (laughs) Jack Frosty was, in the words of his loved ones, a kind, sensitive, and well-liked man living in Dunmore in the state of Pennsylvania. That's a weirdly formal way to say it. He's in he's in a constant state of Pennsylvania. It's <laughs> <laughs> the name of the episode. <laughs> that is the name of the episode. Unfortunately, he passed away at the young age of thirty-two. Oh no! That's what I'm going to turn. Oh no! <laughs> in in June 2011, due to heart problems, arrhythmic complications in particular. All right. His death was very sudden and shocked those around him, leaving them all with the with much grief. He had, a mere ten years before, encountered a creepy painting. That he sold. That he sold. He was survived by his mother, Patty, his longtime friend, Tim Hart, and his cousin, Jimmy McGraw. Probably other relatives? I don't know. I mean, presumably an aunt or an uncle, if he's got a cousin. Or maybe not. Maybe they're all dead. Uh, he was close with his cousin. His heart problem was a lot worse than they expected. It killed seven people. <laughs> Just got them all in one go. Yep. Jack's friends and family began to accept the loss and cope with it as best they could, moving on with their lives and coming to terms with life without him. This would have been an ordinary story of human loss, grief, and letting go of someone special had it not been for the bizarre events that began to occur a few months after Jack's death. In November of 2011, Tim Hart and Jimmy McGraw were each stunned to receive separate emails from their deceased friend's email account. Remember, that's boohahapod at gmail.com. <laughs> the mess- you can even forward messages from your dead relatives. Please. I would love to read them. The messages were rather personal in nature and referred to some of the final conversations and situations they had found themselves in with Jack not long before his untimely death. These unique details infused the emails with a striking level of credibility and authenticity, which made it very difficult for his friends to brush them off as a big prank by someone who had hacked into Jack's account. There are too many commas in this book. (laughs) Just gotta hold it upside down, shake it out a little bit, get a bunch of commas on your floor. I really didn't want to have to vacuum up commas tonight. Mm. Both Tim Hart and Jimmy McGraw also believed that... Why not just call them Tim and Jimmy? Definitely don't want to get comma in your rug. It's it's (laughs) such a pain to get out. I'm sorry. Please continue. I feel like there's a comma chameleon joke in there somewhere, but... 
Oh, they come and go. Oh, fuck. Bone Tim Hart and Jimmy McGraw also believe, as they have stated in, in, in an interview given to the BBC, that... BBC is just, like, <laughs> sniffing up all sorts of ghost stories. It's better than using the Daily Mirror as a resource, which I have before. Oof. Um, given to the BBC that nobody could have possibly known the password for Jack's email account and that a case of cyber hacking was very unlikely. Both Hart and McGraw discussed and showed the contents of the emails they received from the deceased in the BBC's TV interview. They gave these men airtime. Yep. The message that Hart received stood out in his email inbox not only because of the deceased sender, but also due to its eerie subject title, which concisely stated, I'm watching. <laughs> when Tim Hart first saw this message, he remembered that he turned as white as a sheet with utter disbelief. Did he catch, like, his reflection in the computer monitor? Yeah. I turned white as a sheet, and I know that because I have a mirror right next to my computer. <gasps> Jim, I am white as a sheet. Holy fuck. <laughs> after the initial shock had faded and after he got a grip on himself and his emotions, he opened the email and was greeted by the familiar, lighthearted tone of voice in the email message, characteristic of the Jack Frosty he knew and loved. Just a period. Every couple sentences, man. Yeah. Maybe a semicolon. I would love a semicolon. This message from Jack read, Did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your fucking attic. <laughs> this was especially shocking to Tim since it wasn't long before his friend's death that Jack commented jokingly on how Tim's attic was in desperate need of cleaning up. What kind of friend does that? That's kind of a, that's kind of a shitty friend. Yeah, it's like the... Or... Depends on how bad this guy's attic is. It must maybe have been like a he's bad a fucking friend. attic. Well, it's like the last time my mother was in my apartment, she was like, oh, you should clean your blinds. Not going to happen. No. You know how hard those things are to clean? Yes, that's why I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> they shared this verbal exchange in a private setting, and Hart maintains that nobody else knew about it and would possibly even think of saying such a thing in an email message. Needless to say, he was unsure what to make of the email in the end, but he still replied to the received message, hoping to elicit some kind of response from the be from beyond the grave. Unfortunately, no response that we know of ever came about. Is that the end of the story? No. <laughs> keep, keep keep going. Okay. Because I'm going to shit all over it. When we're good, when we're good. Done. I hope you do, because I read this uh, the day that I got the book, and then I was like, I cannot think of an explanation for this, but there is one. I can think of one immediately, but continue. Okay. Similarly, in the email sent to Jimmy McGraw, uh, pertained to his personal matters as well. I feel like that wasn't a grammatically sound sentence. Uh, but this time, regarding issues that had occurred after Jack's death on June of 2011. On June of 2011! McGraw explains in the interview that he broke his ankle about a week before he received the email in November 2011. On his way to work. In the message, McGraw received... In the message McGraw received, Jack asked how he was doing and told him that he knew he was going to sustain his injury and that he tried to warn him. Jack then told him that he ought to be careful, made a couple of very short personal remarks, and ended with his name as a signature. McGraw said that during the time when he was recovering following his ankle injury and accident, he saw very few people, which only included a couple of friends and a few family members. This is probably longer than any email I would have gotten, but it was about someone receiving an email from a ghost, so it felt like a good... It's a good punishment for anyone not sending an email. Yeah. This is what you gotta sit through. This bullshit. Make up some ghost stories, <laughs> goddammit. I don't even care if they're real. Yeah. Well, obviously, we're reading this. 
Despite the initial bewilderment brought about by the eerily personal emails from their departed friend, really light adjectives, uh, the people Jack left behind soon came to terms with what had happened. Of course, it remains unclear whether this bizarre correspondence was a very distasteful and cruel prank or actual documented communication with the deceased Jack Frosty from a realm beyond our own. Many people would probably be dis very disturbed if they received any sort of message or a per perceived sign from their dead loved ones. But Needless this to say, <laughs> sorry. This, I guarantee you she's going to say it later in the story. <laughs> but this wasn't the case with folks that Jack left behind in Dunmore, Pennsylvania. Actually, she abbreviated Pennsylvania, so Dunmore Penn. Penn? P-E-N-N. -N. That's not how you abbreviate Pennsylvania. It's pa. Pa. Jack Frosey's mother, Patty, told the interviewers that the emails delighted some people while they disturbed others. For her personally, she accepted them with an open heart and told Jack's loved ones that the messages were a gift from him and that they should accept them as such. She didn't give much thought to whether or not they were just a cruel prank. Instead, she was very grateful for the mere fact that these mysterious emails got people talking again about her son and kept his memory alive. Yeah, that's a good attitude. Yeah, Patty knows what's up. Hart and McGraw were of very similar mind on the subject as well. Hart said that he didn't really care whether he was being pranked or not, and that he wholeheartedly accepted the advice from Jack's mother. He said that he would take this mystery however he wanted to, but accepting it is a good thing in the end. Alright. McGraw had very similar feelings, and he described how hard he was hit by his cousin's sudden departure, explaining that he viewed the emails as Jack's attempts to help him feel better and move on from his death. He concluded that he liked the fact that he received the mysterious and unexplained email in the first place. That was two paragraphs to say they accepted the emails as a good thing. Uh, There's like one more paragraph, but I think it's all one sentence. All right, gear up for it. Needless to say. <clears throat> Dealing with death and loss is such a personal and subjective experience that we must go through in our own way. This story has that effect on the audience since it can vary and be very subjective, depending on the person hearing it for the first time. It's possible that these emails were sent by someone close to the recipients who thought of a very distasteful way to pull a nasty trick on his or her friends. But then again, we don't know if they were also somehow sent by Jack Frosty from beyond the grave in an effort to tease his dear loved ones for the last time, <sighs> in the way that they knew he liked to do. Either way, Jack's inner circle got something good out of the whole experience and found a sort of closure in the mysterious messages, helping them to eventually move on. How would you have felt receiving such an unexplained and eerie correspondence from the realm of the unknown? Needless to say, I would be creeped out. Um, <laughs> All right, so, theories. <laughs> so there is a, a feature in some email services where you can schedule a delivery <laughs> of an email. Now, pretend I'm Jack. Okay. I take ill. Probably, I don't know what's going to happen. But you know what would be really funny? If, like, in a couple months, I die and my buddy gets an email. So that explains the attic one. And then, in a PS, I give him my email account information and said, fuck with Jim. <laughs> and there you have it. There you have it. If he's, if, like, it sounds like this dude, they talk about, it's like, oh, he was, like, good-natured and, like, kind of a prankster. It's like, if my dead friend sent me an email with a joke in it and said, send this note to so-and-so, 
I would have to do it. Like, I would do that. I would do that. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I think happened. Because they did get- Mom might have even been in on it. (laughs) Well, they showed the email that one of the guys got, Mm -hmm. the one about the attic. Yeah. Um, Easily modified. Yes. (laughs) Or he was the second one in that chain. Or he was the second one in that chain. Because the other guy only vaguely outlined what was in his email, I guess. So, just saying. Or he, or he scheduled the delivery for both just to really nail them. Something. You know, I'm just saying, like, scheduled delivery is a thing. Or there are services that do it for you that, like, forward on emails or whatever. Uh, there was a Radio Lab story, I think, about that exact thing. Like, a guy went off to uh, do, like, the Peace Corps, and he, like, wrote a bunch of emails to, like, deliver on his birthday to, like, people in his life. He didn't know he was going to die. He died suddenly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just thinking like, oh, this will be nice that people will get these, you know, like from me now because me now I'm I'm thinking all these crazy things and like I'm going through all this crazy yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so anyway, that's what that's what my mind immediately went to. There are screenshots of the email. Did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your fucking attic. And then the one to Jim uh, says, hey, Jim. How are you doing? I knew you were going to break your ankle. I tried to warn you. Gotta be careful. Uh, Tell Rock for me. Great song, huh? You're welcome. Couldn't get through to him. He, it's blurred out, didn't work. Okay. So, uh, I like this one where they took a picture of Jack when he was alive. Obviously, when he was alive. (laughs) Cut it out of the picture and then pasted it over the screenshot of the email. (laughs) Here you go. Uh, so that would have been a segment where we have our email from a listener, if I had had an email. Instead, we had an email from a ghost. We got emails from a ghost. Boohahapod at gmail.com. Uh, so this is the part of the show where Shane tells me if he has a ghost story. However um, vague, nothing you say is going to be worse than the last 45 minutes. <laughs> I have a, I have a, I don't know if a ghost or a thing. I have a thing story. Okay. I have a weird story. Okay. So um, when I and my uh, ex first moved into the apartment that I currently live in, there was uh, someone living in the adjacent garage mm-hmm. that was basically not like squatting, but like they were the 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 unit next door was like subletting a bunch of room that they weren't supposed to. So. Um, you know that it was it was a garage it was not rated for you know a Occupancy. human living space yeah. yeah exactly so they eventually got evicted like that whole unit got evicted uh-huh. um and there was a bunch of stuff like all strewn across the driveway not like thrown but like they had to unpack everything so they they had like a bunch of stuff in the driveway and it was there for like 2 weeks or something like that in the uh-huh. middle of the summer and uh you know we had heard the person that was, you know, that was living in the garage, at least, you know, like crying heavily. Like, obviously, they're in a pretty bad place in their life. Well, they were living in a garage. Exactly. So. And and they were evicted from that garage. So it's like, <laughs> you know. So um, one of the items uh, was like this little bundle of hair ties that, again, I want to I want to stress. They've been there for like three weeks just sitting there. Okay. This was essentially just garbage at this point. Like, yeah, they, yeah. These people were not coming back. Um. And so uh, my ex thought, you know, I use hair ties all the time. I will grab these and I will make use of them because this person is not coming back. So 
Um, the hair ties are in the house uh, while, and th- th- this all happened. Uh, uh, the hair ties coming in the house happened while I was on vacation in Montana visiting family. So I made a couple phone calls to her while I was out there, and she started reporting weird shit happening. Were the, in the house. were the hair ties haunted? Well, <laughs> well. You know what I said? It couldn't be possibly be worse than. Well, here's here's what here's what we here's what we reported. Here's the the uh, the, the stuff incidents. That, okay. The incidents. So, um, she would be accosted in the middle of the night by just a dank sulfurous smell, just a just a terrible like like a poo poo smell. Oh, like sulfur, like sulfur, okay. like hell. Oh, uh, and Satan's hair ties. And it would go away when she told it to go away, out loud. Well, that's not kosher. Yeah. So, uh, so she was dealing with that and saged the house. As you do. As you do. And so then I came back and I was home for a couple days and I was getting ready for work. And uh, she was in the kitchen. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth. Uh-huh. And I saw like someone move from the kitchen area to the bedroom area like past me in my peripherals and i was thinking oh she must be in the bedroom so i finished brushing my teeth and i look there's no one in the bedroom she's still in the kitchen and i say hey uh, did you go into the bedroom at all just now and she said no not at all and i said you know what let's get rid of those hair ties <laughs> <laughs> so we did because <laughs> i'm the skeptic of the i was the skeptic of the relationship yeah, you know? yeah. i don't i don't see that stuff and I'm not like I don't believe in that stuff. I just don't see it, so I don't, you know, that doesn't hold a lot of water yeah. for me unless I see something. And so, but you time, saw something. Kind of saw something. something. <laughs> yeah, so I said something. Saw something, said something. That's just like the posters said. <laughs> so, yeah, we got rid of those hair ties and uh, saved the house again. <laughs> and yeah, so that's a very strange item to be haunted. Yeah, uh, our our kind of working, you know spiritualistic theory was just sort of like hey a lot of negative energy went into those went into all of those items yeah and so maybe it wasn't like the hair ties were uh possessed or possessed haunted. or haunted but maybe it, like that was sort of like an invitation or bait to something that was moving through the area yeah, or yeah, yeah. however spirits work i don't know it was bad juju is that racist is that racist to say anymore i I'm, i don't know i'm not sure it was some bad stuff yes um <laughs> That was a good, good ghost story. All right. And I'm not just saying that. Like, it, had, a, it had everything. Yeah, that that was definitely uh, the the most paranormally thing that's happened to me specifically. Well, um, where can we find you? In your dreams, <laughs> your nightmares, young listener. <laughs> you turn into a goblin. I'm uh turning into the crypt keeper. <laughs> well, boys and ghouls. Um. Let's see. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at Shane Hosey. It's just one word, S-H-A-N-E-H-O-S-E-A. And there you'll find pretty much everything else. Uh, I'm Hosey Hustle on a lot of places, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and check out Portland Legends of Wrestling was a monthly show. Please do. I just realized that Kickstand is like super close to here. Yeah, you should come on Wednesday. I will this Wednesday. Yep. I don't think I'm doing anything. Two days from now. Okay. Two days from this recording, uh, you missed it. Out there in Radio <laughs> Land, you missed it. Yeah. This it's is... every third Wednesday of the month. Okay. Though, so yeah. you should be able to check out in April, May, 
As long as we keep doing it. June question mark? June? Possibly. Uh, yeah, this comes out on the last Tuesday of the month. All right. So check it out soon. Yeah. Uh, the April show. And come to SpecScript, April 9th. Yes. Um, in case you guys didn't know, I wrote part of an episode of SpecScript. Uh, Black Mirror episode, which mm-hmm. Shane gave me all the information I needed to yeah, write. Yeah, you wrote a, a great episode. <laughs> Thank you. Of that pretentious ass show. Um, I don't know if I told you, but I didn't know that I was gonna have to like be on stage for that until I was on like, stage for I that. Until I said hi to Chris, and he's like, "Here are your scripts." I'm like, "Yeah, my what?" <laughs> and then I had to sit next to fucking Adam, doing his Craig voice the whole time. Yep. Yeah. It was a beautiful nightmare. <laughs> It's a wonderful episode. I think I think that one's available to listen to. It is. Okay, yeah, yeah you can go listen uh, to that. So that's Black Mirror, uh, Spike Script. That's fun. Yeah, we just released Star Trek, I believe. Nice. Next Gen? Yeah. Yep. By Lucia Fasano. Oh, I wanted to get her on here. She's leaving. Yeah, you better hurry. Yeah. Um. All right, so I am on Twitter at Pod. I am on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Pod. Gmail. Gmail. Buhapod at gmail.com. Do not embarrass me like this again. (laughs) What else? I don't have an Instagram yet. I don't know why I would. I don't know what I'm going to post pictures of. We we, we did talk a lot about pictures today, so maybe that'll change. If you are the person who has at Buhaha on Twitter or at Buhaha on Facebook, please email me. We have some words to exchange. Uh, Until next time, this has been Buhaha. I am Emily Faye Coleman. Good night. <laughs> you can save that sound effect for all your episodes.